Welcome to another episode of East Got Game, an unofficial podcast covering the NBL One East competition for 2023, where we review, preview, and interview our way through the NBL One East. My name is Jacinta Govan from the Central Coast Crusaders. With me, as always, uh, is Lockie France from Sutherland Sharks. Do I say slash yet, or do I just stick with Sutherland Sharks? Just Sutherland Sharks for the moment. We don't want to get we don't get too many people offside. No, you're not quite an actor slash model yet in terms of a no. shark slash other club yet. So we'll just stick with sharks. Yes, I think so for the moment. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll, we'll <laughs> stay loyal to your sharkies. Um, how are you, Lockie? Hi, Squin. It's uh, been a big week of uh, NBL One as per usual. What's to get through? Yes, and having said that, though, it looks like the future rounds heading into the uh, June long weekend are going to be just as big. Um, as we've mentioned in previous episodes to the COE women uh, will get ready to go to the Under-19 World Cup in Spain. So a lot of uh, of the game schedule has to be accommodated for that. But still plenty of basketball in the East to go. We've just finished off round 11. Um out of 18 rounds, plus a whole bunch of different finals rounds, which we have confirmed to a point that they will be taking the top eight teams through to finals. But how the finals are going to be formatted, whether that's quarterfinals, then elimination finals leading up into the finals weekend, we don't know. We also don't know dates for the finals weekend or a venue. So <laughs> everything's going to be a surprise, Lockie. We love a surprise. No, we don't. We do not. I want everything known as soon as possible, but you can't, can't always uh, have everything your own way. Yeah, I guess the suspense kind of keeps us engaged, doesn't it? Maybe that's actually their plan in the wrong one. long run is just to keep <laughs> drip-feeding information uh, just to make sure we keep taking the bait. Well, I've uh, certainly got us hook, line and sinker. absolute suckers the pair of us uh so you were tasked this week to cover the women's round um and it looks like a pretty again like you said an interesting round uh a few big wins across the board with the likes of illawarra hawks norse bears and what a week for we've got to give this the biggest shout out hornsby karingai spiders yeah up the spiders sorry sorry hills (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, no offence to Hills because uh, we, we don't play favourites here. But, I mean, when a team has been winless and get their first win in round 11 in their first season of MPL One East with roster changes, coach changes, of you know, all the bumps in the road that have led them to this win, it's worth celebrating. It certainly is. But we'll kick it off at the top where it was the Canberra Nationals coming up to Bankstown and getting an 85-65 win on the back of some monster performances by Lizzie Tonks and Abby Solway. Of course, Izzy Bourne returning after her time at Nebraska. So great win for Canberra there. Centre of Excellence got an 84-65 win at home against Central Coast. Big performance by Isla Juffermans. Manly defeated Maitland 92-55 with Kim Hodge shooting around 90% from the field. Uh, Norse defeated a shorthanded Newcastle 76-69 as the imports Jolene Anderson and Makia Gray both played excellently. 
Illawarra, led by Ella Dent, got an 87-68 win over Inner West. Uh, Sutherland with a 99-47 win over a valiant Penrith with Meg Jefferson. Actually, I think top scoring for the game in that one. So great effort by Meg in trying circumstances. And, of course, Hills 56, Hornsby Karingo Spiders 69 in the late game on Saturday afternoon. Christina Moore back from her time at the University of Florida and Georgetown with a big 30-piece to get her Spiders over the line. So if we turn to the ladder, well, that win for Norse over Newcastle actually only served to uh, create more separation between the top five and the rest of the table because we got Manly at 13 and 1, Centre of Excellence 11 and 2, and then Norse Comets, of course, Comets uh, had to postpone their games due to illness. They're also at 10 and 2, and so are Newcastle. So Sutherland sitting right there at 9 and 5, three games back from the top five, but two games ahead of Albury Wodonga in seventh. So Aubrey and Maitland tied at seven and six, Bankstown six and seven, Canberra five and seven, and then we have Central Coast four and ten, Illawarra, Inner West, and Penrith all at three and ten, Hills two and eleven, and Hornsby one and thirteen. So it certainly at this stage looks to be five teams have clinched probably the top five spots at this stage, barring a miracle or a meltdown. Looks like Sutherland is sitting fairly pretty in sixth, and then it's four teams battling for the final two spots. There's still some, um, <clears throat> sorry, there's still some differences too between the teams in men's and women's in terms of number of games played as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that all washes out in the end, if how big an impact that's going to be. Because even looking at the men's ladder now, before we get stuck into it, you know. There's some people who have only played 12 games and some that have played 14. And I know that's only two different game difference on paper, but as the Newcastle Falcons and the men have showed us with their four-game winning streak, all the ga- every game matters at this point. Um, so those two games, whether it's uh, zero and two, like if it's uh, lose two, win two, whatever, get the split, it's, it's all going to make a massive difference. It's just like we mentioned last week, you know, Sutherland came back from third quarter deficits twice last week in a week where, you know, it was one of those weeks where you think one and one you'd probably be happy with and they managed to edge out two two big wins in the men's last week. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, I mean, certainly making it very interesting for us. Um. <laughs> it certainly is. And we have to remember that Centre of Excellence, they'll be done, I think, two weeks after the public holiday. So I think 24th of June, they should have everything wrapped up. So at that stage, everyone will know, you know, what, you know, benchmark centre of excellence have set for the 22 games and what they have yeah. to do to get over one team. Yeah, it'll be interesting what they can achieve in that short period of time and then go to Worlds. Um, and then it will be even more interesting to see what their roster is going to look like after Worlds because you have athletes graduating. So are they going to graduate after Worlds? Are they going to return to finish NBL one season? We just don't know. No, and it's going to be some players will have played at Worlds and the players in that Centre of Excellence squad will have been not playing for five weeks. They won't have, they won't have had a game under their belts for a month, any player at that COE team who, you know, I'm sure they'll scrimmage plenty, but... Uh, not the same, no, you is know, it? No cutthroat competition. No, that's right. 
Um, so I was tasked this week with the men's comp. Uh, so kicking it off again with the Bankstown Bruins and Canberra Gunners round at Bankstown. Gunners winning that one 95-76. COE versus Central Coast Crusaders in Canberra, 100 points to 67. Uh, Manly Warringah Seagulls versus the Maitland Mustangs at Manly. Uh, Mustangs winning that one 99-73. North Bears and Newcastle Falcons, bit, no, I won't say big upset, but the Falcons continuing their winning streak with now four games in a row. They beat the North Bears 73-62. to Albury-Wodonga Bandits hosted the Sydney Comets uh, and Albury-Wodonga won 104-97. to So I, that is a massive win. In this that, 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 that that's the one I was yeah eyeing off as well. It's a big win because Albury, you know, they've had their ups and downs. They've got some great imports and some great local players, but haven't been able to gel consistently through the competition so far. So coming against Sydney, who are always very competitive, uh, with the likes of uh, Maddie Wacher, Archie Woodhill, Johnny Sinagorak. Elijah Washington, already a lot of big bodies uh, and big plays to come up against. But then the the biggest, you know, the news out of the last couple of weeks, Wani Swakala Bullock was just like, oh, hey, uh, Comets, you need a player? I need I need a team. Let's go. That just for me came out of nowhere. Wani Swakala. He's so young but already has three NBL championships and he – is just getting to rock up and play an NBL 1S for Comet. So big get, but even bigger win because he played uh, that game. He had 33-7-2, and two, uh, but he played. But so full credit to Aubrey Wodonga winning that one. They outscored the Comets in the last quarter, 34-20. to 20. Um, Yeah, really doing a, a great job where it counted the most. So bravo, bravo, Bandits. Um, sorry, moving right along, <laughs> the Laura Hawks hosted – the Inner West Bulls, which ended up being the KO Freebies game of the week this round because the original game of the week was uh, cancelled because the Comets had to postpone. Uh, Illawarra went down 72-90. to 90. Uh, Sutherland Sharks hosted Penrith Panthers and they won that one, 92-79. Hills Hornets hosted Hornsby Karingai Spiders, beating the Spiders 93-61. COE backed up in their doubleheader and played on the Sunday against Sydney Comets and they won that one 115 to 94, so very high-scoring game. And it was the Gunners-COE um, rescheduled match that is due to be played on Tuesday, which is tomorrow because we are recording on Wednesday the 29th. Um, so we haven't included it, obviously, in this episode because we can't see into the future just yet. We're working on it. We're <laughs> working on it. We try, uh, and we haven't quite got a copy of that illustrious uh, book, like on um, Back to the Future Two, how he has the the sports result. almanac. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we haven't got a copy of that just yet, but I'm sure we'll cover that in next episode. So that was the wrap of the round for the men. So if we take a look now at the ladder, COE is still ahead with uh, on first place with 14. Oh, they're 13 and one. Inner West Bulls are at second place with 11 and 2. Then we've got North Bears at third, Sutherland Sharks at fourth. And see, this is when that this is when the split kind of becomes important because North Bears are 10 and 3. Sutherland Sharks are actually uh, 10 and 4. 
So sometimes having an extra game under your belt can be to your detriment if it's a game you've lost, I guess. <laughs> and Newcastle, I, I feel lucky just, you know, only a few weeks ago Newcastle were hanging around that eighth, ninth place. And now they've swooped their way up to fifth place, again, thanks to that four-game winning streak that they're on now. So they're sitting at fifth with eight and four. Canberra Gunners are at six with eight and four, but down to the points for and against percentage. Newcastle have the edge by 0.9. Like, be more competitive, MBL One East. (laughs) Seriously. We we, we want those tied. We want those numbers to be exactly the same. 0.9. Oh, my gosh. Wait, hold on. Does my math serve me correctly? I may have that wrong. Sorry, 1.1%. Oh, 1. wow. Because that's such oh. a massive gap. <laughs> High school math. I promise I'm smart. Um, and then seventh place is Hills Hornets at eight and five. Maitland Mustangs are at eight with seven and six. Probably not a position they want to be, but considering it's top eight, they are still in contention at this stage. Aubrey Wodonga Bandits in ninth position, seven and seven. Illawarra Hawks in tenth, six and seven. Sydney Comets 11th, 6th and 7th as well with 1.7% separating them in the points for and against percentage. Uh, then Crusaders at 12th, Bankstown at 13th, Penrith at 14th, Manly Warringah Sea Eagles at 15th and Hornsby Karingai with 16th. They're 0 and 14, but I'm still manifesting that they'll get a win this season just like their women's team. Well, I mean, you can't go so close so many times and eventually not pick up a win. Yeah. One thing that... It's going in the right direction. (laughs) The one thing that strikes me about the latter is we see teams like Newcastle moving up at Canberra. I mean, we had an episode about them and they've moved up. Yeah. Maitland have moved up. And what I'm noticing is that Illawarra, yes, they've had Dave O'Hickey out for, I think, four weeks. And Comets, they've won one of their last 10 between them. Comets on a five-game skid and Illawarra one of their last five. Wow. That so is so you know, unexpected for those teams. Di- you know, diverging fortunes is, you know, Newcastle and Canberra hitting form. Illawarra and Comets are sliding. And, yeah. you know, Maitland, may even Maitland and Aubrey have started to take a bit of advantage. They've each won three of their last five. So That is really... Surprising, like those are the two teams you would not expect to be kind of slipping at this stage of the competition. And you no. know, to be fair, Illawarra did have, like I said, Dave O'Hickey was back this round. They had Timmy Conrad. You know, they both put up lots of minutes, uh, lots of points. Sorry, but um, yeah, coming away with a with a loss. Mm. But to be fair, they are still only a game out of eighth spot. Yeah, so, that is true. That is true. Is- and they're playing war. Well, they're playing Newcastle next. Uh, That's going to be tough. One of those games, you know, t- treat it as an opportunity. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. I'm just going to quickly double check um, the rest of their fixture because that will might be able to help us kind of estimate the direction um, or the, the chances of Illawarra Hawks men's team being able to get into the eight. Um, if my computer wants to work, they've got they've got Newcastle, and then they've got Canberra after they play Ooh. Newcastle. They've got Canberra, so they've got some teams, and then Sutherland at and home. Sutherland. So they've got some teams that are just a little bit above them, 
I think we talked about this last week. They've got a bit of a few teams that are a little bit above them where it's going to be tough. But if they can come away with a few good wins out of that, then in the late stages of the season, I think it gets a little bit easier for them. Mm. But and they're playing. They're playing. New, they still have to play Newcastle twice. So this is the first time they're actually playing Newcastle, which for round twelve out of eighteen is surprising that some teams are only playing each other for the first time. Yes. Um, and so they're playing Newcastle at home, which helps Canberra away, Sutherland at home, Bankstown at home. So yeah, then they've got a run of Bankstown, Penrith, which they should probably win. <laughs> And then the next real, and then they play Maitland and Newcastle back to back. So, well, by that stage, we could, by by that stage, those could be deciding places anywhere from Mm -hmm. fifth to tenth, those matches. But I mean, like you said, you play some teams twice, you play other teams once. I mean, COE have got an absolute murderer's row. They've got Comets twice, in women, sorry, they've got Comets twice, North, Manly, and Newcastle. And Canberra twice as well. And I think Canberra are probably better than their five and seven record, especially with Izzy Bourne. So Central uh, Centre of Excellence don't have it easy. And Albury aren't far behind them with five five games against the top five to come. So, you know, sometimes it just shakes out that way. And that one game for the women's COE team against Manly, that's the only time they play each other, isn't it? It is. And it's uh, one of their, yeah, I think... It's their 19th game, so they go 18 games without playing Manly and then play them with four games left in the season. Yeah, yeah. So the top of the table clash, we still have to wait till next month. Um, <laughs> yeah, bizarre, bizarre. But look, yeah. that's, again, another thing that kind of keeps it interesting. Um, Certainly so, does, and you can, you can only beat who's put in front of you as well. Mm, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, watch this space. At least it will give us lots of content week by week to record a podcast. It certainly will. So tell me, what games did you watch this week in the women's competition? Uh, so I took a look at a couple of games, with both with finals implications but with different finals implications. So I looked at Bankstown versus Canberra, which is a battle of those teams looking to get sneak into the eight. And I also took a look at North Newcastle, which is – you know, team, two teams, they could finish fourth and fifth. So, and that would be the, they could then meet again in the finals in the first round and it could be the difference between a home and away game. But we'll start with Bankstown Canberra uh, because it was, of course, and I completely forgot to put my Nebraska jersey on. Silly of me. It was the <laughs> return of Izzy, Izzy Bourne. Yes, I own a Nebraska jersey. Of course I do. Uh, yes, the do. return <laughs> Just like I own a Gonzaga jersey. So there's my invitation to Alex Tui to be a guest on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Izzy Bourne back for Canberra. And boy, did they need her because they're uh, just a little bit off the uh, before this week, just in danger of falling a little bit off the pace of those other three teams because uh, you know, four and seven coming into the weekend, but they got a big... 85 to 65 win, and it was really off the back of Abby Solway and Lizzie Tonks, which is, I guess, I guess Bankstown's their their front court's probably their strength. Um, but uh, I thought maybe Izzy would have uh, gone to town on them, but she did that more at the defensive end. So it was Abby Solway and Lizzie Tonks, 24 points apiece, and Lizzie did it in 21 minutes, going better than a point a minute. Wow, so, that's 
definition of efficiency. Yeah, it's four four of seven from three point land. Uh, also had five rebounds and assists and two steals. And Abby Solway twenty four points and six rebounds. She played thirty eight minutes. Um, but they came out of the blocks absolutely firing. Did Canberra thirty two to fourteen uh, first quarter, which really set them on their way. And in fact, the margin for the rest of the game was only two points. Um, unfortunately, we saw. Uh, Cappy, uh, Capri Morrow, uh, exited late in the second quarter. She had seven points and eight rebounds at the time in just 15 minutes. But um, it's in the high. I don't think it's in the highlights. You might have to go back and um, find it in the full game replay. But uh, just uh, Lizzie Tonk, I think it was Lizzie Tonks, just tipped the ball away from her. And uh, as they were both scrambling to grab possession, just a bit of a tangle, uh, no malice in it either way. And uh, uh, Cappy tried to play the next possession but just um, had to go off. And, um, yeah, wasn't seen again for the rest of the game. Um, exited under her own power, which is good. But uh, So hopefully nothing too bad there because she is going to – well, has been and is going to remain vital for um, Bankstown going forward. But uh, – I mean, fair play. Keanu Davis-White stepped up with a double-double, 18 and 10, in uh, Cappy's absence. Uh, and Brittany Wright had 16 points as well. So still some of their bigger players, uh, you know, finding their way. And they actually did win the points in the paint battle, 28-22. Uh, of course, I mentioned uh, Lizzie Tonks hitting four of seven from three-point range. Uh, Abby Solway hit six of 13. Uh, they actually shot 15 of 42 from three-point range, which is feels like a far higher clip and a far higher rate than just about any team would put up in a women's game in NBL 1 this season. Yeah, 42 shots, 42 threes is a lot. Yeah, so Jazz Bootsos, uh, 2 of 10. Izzy Bourne, 2 of 6. Jazz Bootsos actually had eight assists, uh, which is, uh, I guess, when Lizzie's out there, you know, swishing, someone's got to do the dishing. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And I yeah. was, I couldn't figure out why Lizzie Tonks had only played just you know twenty just under twenty two minutes because I was like, mate, hopefully she's not managing an injury, but she got fouled out. Yeah, so um, Izzy Bourne got fouled out too. Yeah, there were there were, there were a few. I guess yeah, twenty six fouls to uh just the 18. eighteen. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, players fouled. I guess. Um, you know, you play, you put a bit of pressure on the opposition, but Izzy's also got to um, adjust to playing in Australia again. Oh, absolutely. We see that time and time again, you know, some of our imports uh, first game in will foul out, like Nakia Gray this round, she fouled out. Um, the new import for Maitland Mustangs also fouled out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in the early games of Brittany Wright, she was on a few fouls, and this game she was on four as well. So it do- definitely yeah. takes some adjusting. Yeah, I think, you know, you see how often in the WNBL does an import foul out in their first game and everyone's like, oh, she's a bust. You know, what do we sign her for? And then like three games later, she's fouling twice and putting up 25 and 10. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's like, relax, guys, relax. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so it's, hopefully, it's just, you know, you go. I uh, just saying like, you know, Cappy Morrow, I mean, injured today, but she only had one foul in the 15 minutes, putting up seven points and eight rebounds. 
Um, also, uh, Lizzie Tonks had six blocks. And that, uh, you know, probably a, uh, a factor in Bankstown shooting just 28% from the field because most of the other stats, to be fair, were pretty oh. even, you know. Offensive rebounding. You mean, you mean Izzy Bourne had six blocks? Yes. Yeah, I think he said Lizzie yeah, Tonks. Is- oh, that would have been That's amazing. Right. But, yes, Izzy Bourne had six blocks, all six blocks for um, Canberra. But, you know, big – Bigs like that, they don't just block shots, they chain shots as well. And that's going to be something massive for Canberra going forward. Uh, you know, she won't always get six blocks, but if she can alter, you know, a dozen more, can uh, certainly change things, especially against some of those smaller teams because we've mentioned it time and again, not everyone has a really big, big inside. Although with some of the import signings and even some of the local signings, uh, you know, there are there is getting to be a bit more of a front court presence across the league, and I think I know I know you'll be very happy with that, Squin. Yes, definitely. I want some more back to the basket textbook post players in NBL One East. You know, running the split line, basket to basket, deep post catches, um, footwork, court vision. I want it all. I'm greedy, but that's what I want. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's fine. As a, as a former big, you're you're allowed to want that. I think you are yes. still a big. Uh, you're still a big on uh, on Sundays down at uh, Central Coast. Oh no, I'm usually a uh, <laughs> reluctant PG or a shooting guard on a Sunday uh, at Sunday scrimmage. Uh, uh, I say reluctant because you know those boys. They don't like to call a lot of fouls sometimes. So I really <laughs> want the ball in my hands, uh, but, <laughs> but definitely, definitely not a a four or five like I used to be. Ah, uh, but um. What I want to make mention is this game in the bigger picture because it got Canberra to five and seven and they have a tough run home. They've got Centre of Excellence twice, North and Manly twice, and they've got – but then they've got Penrith, Illawarra, Hills, and then Illawarra again. So that's four games you would have expected to win even before Izzy came back and four games – you probably don't want to say, yeah, we'll beat them because Izzy's back, you know, center of excellence, Norse and Manly. So I think they can probably pin their finals hopes on if they can steal one of those four games against the top five, great. But then they also have Albury and Sutherland. And I think they're the two games where if they can pick off both of those, that could be the determining factor in whether they manage to reel in this deficit they have to the, to Maitland, Albury and Bankstown and sneak into the eight. But as Izzy I say Bourne. that, the, mm. the Izzy Bourne supremacy. Oh, that's a good one. The Izzy Bourne supremacy. I was just thinking of the matchup between Izzy Bourne and Ash Hannon in that Ooh, future that... game between Nationals and Bandits. That's going to be oh, one for the one for the comp, I think. It certainly will. Just let me look for something because... Because are they the same at graduating age at COE? They certainly are, and if I can find the right year. Uh, I don't want to give dead yes. silence, so we'll let yes. look, no, look, no, look, look, look you have a look. Izzy, yes, I am correct. Izzy Bourne and Ash Hannon were on the same ACT U20 team in 2019. Yes, that is correct. Uh, Izzy Bourne being born and bred Canberra 
uh, yes. local and uh, Ash Hannon going to the COE and after having spent a couple of years living in Canberra even after she was at COE qualified for under 20. So they were on the yes. same under 20 so, ACT yes. team. Izzy, Izzy averaged 16.2 and 12.7 so points and rebounds and Ash at average 10.4 and 8.1 points and rebounds respectively. So, yes, former teammates, both Australian junior representatives, going to be a very tasty matchup in the back end of the season there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I think that it's that matchup especially – uh, heading into the Nationals Bandits game in the future rounds is going to be really important, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm looking really looking forward to that one. Um, but moving right along, the second game yes. that you covered was uh, the North Bears and the Newcastle Falcons at the Bear Cave, and this one also had potential to be a game of the week. It certainly did. Uh, it was a really close game, and I know Newcastle, the loss will sting just because they lost, but they came in court. They only used seven players um, and only seven of their usual squads. So they are recruited in uh, Sophie and Brooke Bultitude um, to be there, but neither of them uh, saw any time on the court. So they were running with only seven players and their two players on the bench were Jess Ralph and Sophie Kleeman. So with no McGinniskin, no Hannah Chicken, we haven't seen Keely McLean, not a lot of, real height out there. Um, no one really with much, if any, experience to play the five spot because their starting five was uh, Kate Kingham, Makia Gray, Emily Foy, Abby Curtin, and Nicole Munger. So uh, really tough for them to, you know, do anything in the paint. But, you know, they only came away with a seven-point loss, which uh, on the road is uh, certainly a... Uh, something to be buoyed by despite the result. And interestingly enough, it's more the fact that Norse had Jolene Anderson hitting five of 11 from three and that Newcastle have a couple of players who don't mind getting downhill, but Newcastle actually won the points in the paint battle. 34 to 32. Especially when you've got Sarah Schicker on North, who's leading the comp in blocks. That is Mm. a very surprising stat. That Schicker, um, did finish 0-7 from the field. She did pick up 12 rebounds and three assists, but uh, I'd say if she was having a better day putting the ball in the hole, it uh, definitely would have, uh, you know, certainly improved Norse points in the paint numbers. Um, but Norse, yeah, 32 points in the paint and then 27 from threes and then 11, was it 11 of 15 at the line. So, you know, threes and deep paint, you know, it's the way to win. And did um, and it looks like the North that North did a really good job of limiting Nicole Munger because she had in thirty five or thirty six minutes she had eight points and seven rebounds and yeah, shot it was... thirteen. So it sounds like that uh, Coach Garlett from North implemented some uh, pretty gr- good defensive strategies to limit her scoring opportunities. Yeah, so I mean, you know, the Kate's you know. I, I need to stop, you know, just talking about Kate Seabon when I talk about Norse defense because, I mean, at, the, at both ends they're just so well drilled. And I think in this, in when you get a shorthanded team, you can, you know, let other players, you know, 
get away a bit and do some good scoring. And if you lock down the player who you know can go off for 40, you don't mind if, you know, someone goes off for 20 or so, which is definitely something you can do when you come up against a Newcastle side that's so shorthanded. If you can um, get the ball out of Munger's hands, um, it certainly uh, certainly helps. Credit to Newcastle. They only had 14 turnovers and no one really, you know, had a big number of turnovers. Um, I guess the biggest thing that hamstrung them was uh, Micaiah Gray being in foul trouble. But, I mean, there were only two players, options off the bench were guards anyway, so that was the one spot they did have depth. Uh, but I want to talk more about just something I noticed about North's offense, and I've noticed it before, is how often they can get the ball from half court to the basket without a single dribble. Yeah. It's, I mean, how much of that is, I mean, their roster is outstanding, their coaching staff's mm. outstanding. Um, but I think also part of that is that the Norse roster have played together and played successfully together for quite a while now. Mm. And I feel like a lot of that, I feel like a lot of that experience and just almost like sixth sense comes about with this team to be able to do things like that. Because Newcastle women's team are a very good defensive team. And when you brought up turnovers as well, you know, Norse only had 11 turnovers. Newcastle, like you said, had 14. They're the two teams in the league that have the least amount of turnovers. Um, but they're also two of the teams with the highest defensive efficiency. Um, so for them to have, like, limited turnovers yeah. in a game where two very good defensive teams, that's – I mean, the mass doesn't make sense, but it's outstanding. And you, you say that, like – They've played together so much. There was just one play, and I think Seabom got put under. They brought a double to Seabom, and she just flung it. And the player just turned around and knew the next player was going to be there. And she just turned around and flung it and knew the fourth player was going to be there. And I think it was, I don't remember who it was very close to the basket, but it was just like they didn't need to even look, they just knew, okay, we're in this situation. This is where you're going to be. This is where you're going to be. This is where you're going to be. I've pegged where the defense is. I'm just going to go ping, 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 ball, basket. Suddenly a double team on Kate Seabom turns into the most wide open basket of the game. Yeah, and, and Kate Seabom it's just, being the, one of the <laughs> smaller, more petite players on the court too. So not, you know, like a big alley-oop in the end to Shuker. It's just, Yeah. And it wasn't the, you know, and, you know, even when they do put the ball on the floor, they do it, you know, they do it with purpose, which is something I don't mm. think everyone does. You know, people just start dribbling for the sake of dribbling sometimes. Yeah. And yeah, that's a really some, good sometimes, some, sometimes starting your dribble can be almost as bad as, probably not almost as bad, but, you know, they say never stop your dribble. But once you start your dribble, you know, then you've just given the defense the opportunity to, you know, snake in there when you don't have to. You know, maybe you can wait an extra half a second for a pass to open up. No, you're right. I think that's a sound observation in terms of there's lots of players who do it. And I, I've been watching some youth league games at home uh, the last couple of weeks. And I feel like especially in youth league and when I was coaching juniors, it they dribble just for the sake of dribbling. And when you say the Norths are... Uh, only dribble with purpose is perfect because, I mean, maybe that's reflective of their low number of turnovers, which is 11. Um, but uh, it makes a massive difference, yeah, when you're dribbling with purpose and not for the sake of dribbling because it's, uh, 
it just gets you in so many sticky situations if you're just going to dribble for the sake of dribbling. Mm. And then the, the flip side of that is when someone started their dribble and they stop it too soon when in, in an actual situation they should probably keep dribbling. Like if they come off a pick and roll and they just stop on one foot or playing off an awkward two foot, it's like that's when you got to kind of uh, keep dribbling. But anyway, getting on a little bit of a tangent there. With, uh, we certainly are. Analytics. I'm, I wonder if there will be some coaches listening that may agree or disagree. So if there are coaches listening and want to make a talking point about that particular part of play, please message us on our Scott game Instagram because we would love to know. But like with the Bankstown-Canberra game that could have major implications on the top eight, uh, this game could have had major implications not only on the top four, but maybe on the top five. Because, as I mentioned earlier, there's now four teams on two losses and one on one, and then Sutherland in six are on five. You know, reverse the result, if that had been a Newcastle win, Norse would have dropped to 11 and three. And suddenly that's, you know, that's a very, very, you know, manageable gap for the Sutherland Sharks, you know. They just keep winning. Maybe Norse drop a game here or there. Um, you know, say they, they do play each other in a couple of weeks. So, you know, if that was a two-game gap, Sutherland could get the win against Norse. Suddenly they're right behind them. But that three-game gap still exists for Sutherland to any other team. So top five looking really, really set in stone as far as which five teams it'll be. But only four teams can get you know, home quarterfinals. And with three teams, third to fifth, all on the same record, um, not entirely sure what the uh, tiebreaker is going to be in this situation, but I did notice that um, Norse allowed a late, a very late basket with time expiring. I can't remember who it was when Newcastle player just went in there and took the extra two points at the end to turn it into a seven-point game from a nine-point game. So... If it does go to head-to-head split and Newcastle manage to win by eight in the return fixture because these teams do play each other twice, that would give Newcastle the season series. So it's a very unlikely situation, but it is something to think about. Oh, definitely. I think, yeah, going off win-loss records, points for and against percentage, like you said, we're probably pretty certain who's going to make at least the top five. But... um. Position and placing, final placing, is super important going into final series because this top five is, uh, it's top six even, is already so competitive. Um, placing is going to be super important. But also by the time we roll around to quarterfinals and if we have a preliminary final before finals weekend, um, who's going to be, like, what weekend is that going to fall on? Is that going to clash with the Asia Cup? So are the likes of Charlotte Hill and Loz Nicholson going to be around? Um, you know, Norse might be without Coach Garlett because she has been announced as one of the Opals coaches for the Asia Cup, which is brilliant. Um, it is amazing. Yeah. It's like- amazing and very well deserved. And uh, so, yeah, I think some of those things along the way, like we've already harped on about COE as well for a while is going to make a difference. When it, Once those placings are confirmed, then the finals games are and the timing of the finals games are going to be very, very interesting. Exactly. And, you know, even beforehand, camps as well, you know, who do you play when suddenly your coach or your star point guard or 
player who, you know, regularly drops, you know, 20, 30, 40 point games, Lauren Nicholson <laughs> is not there. Who knows? We haven't been told when Opal's camp is. We know when the tournament is. We don't know when players will have to be released. We don't know when they'll be allowed back after the tournament. Mm. Um, lot to yeah, go over. Very doubtful that uh, if they are selected in that 12-person roster for Asia Cup, very doubtful that they'll be a, allowed to play NBL 1 in between. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, mm. uh, and a little bit of a fun fact. So Coach Renee Garlop for Norths and their in-point Jolene Anderson played against each other at under-22 Worlds back in the day. That under-22 under Worlds doesn't even exist anymore and hasn't existed yeah. for a while. So that is really back in the day. Yes. So that is I cool. For those that don't know, the uh, it used to be under... 19 and under 22 so it used to be under 19 being the gems under 22 used to be the sapphires but now it's flipped where they take under 17 and under 19 so now the under 17s are the sapphires which always blew my mind like i thought it was great having under 22 under 19 and under 22 because you used to capture a lot of the talent from juniors uh, who are just about to finish or finishing under 18s in that under 19 squad but then between under 19 and under 22, there's so much more growth and development uh, in terms of getting up to that next level. That's why I thought under 22 was a better opportunity for people who perhaps weren't at the AIS to get into an Aussie squad. And so the likes of like Amy Lewis and Rachel Watman in my era um, and Rachel Herrick was a late addition to the AIS back in the day. They all had the opportunity to make the squad or the final cut for that under 22 team. But again, I'm going on tangents today, but bit of, bit of background, bit of history for you. But yes, yeah, so jo, uh, Jolene Anderson played um, in that same tournament against Renee Garlop and Renee was telling me how, and she did give me permission to share this story. I did ask. Uh, she did say how at the end of the tournament, Renee hosted like an end of tournament kind of party in the hotel because so many teams were in the same hotel and they all just ended up hanging out with people from other countries and there's a picture of Renee and, and Jolene together at this said end of tournament party. So it is the basketball world is exceptionally small. Isn't that the best thing about tournaments, just hanging out with players from other teams, just meeting people? Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, what? Yeah, it's just funny how then you reconnect with people again, like it, so it many It really later. is, like so all this time later. Love it, love it. Um, all right, I, so you go. It is definitely time to move on to the men's game, Squim. Yeah, and so I covered the newly uh, titled KO Freebies Game of the Week, the Illawarra Hawks hosting the Inner West Bulls. And now this is was always going to be a pretty decent matchup, giving Illawarra's roster with Tim Conrad and William Davo Hickey, who is back after four weeks off. Um, and Noah Pagotto is back in the rotation, which is good, and Freddie Webb was there as well. So Illawarra looking almost at full strength, but Lucas Waxy Walker is still away with um, national duties with a 3x3 team. They're just over in Austria at the moment. I think they're like... 24, 48 hours away from kicking off the World Cup in Austria. So you probably won't hear this, Lucas, but uh, best of luck to you nonetheless. 
Um, but yeah, this game was also worthy of a game of the week title because uh, the Bulls winning this one away 90 to 72, so maintaining their winning streak and as we mentioned earlier, cementing second spot on the ladder. But it was like the first quarter, maybe this is typical of a lot of the men's games this season, a lot of up and back, up and back, up and back. Like no one really establishing themselves in terms of who's setting the tone or the pace of the game. Each team was just focusing on getting the ball up and back in a quick transition. And it was very physical very early. So there were a lot of big hits quite early, you know, no malice in it. It was just kind of the physicality of the game. Uh, Blake Morrow very very early pulling up uh, which looked like a back injury or a back twinge a little bit with one of those early hits. He still continued to play just under 30 minutes, but a bit of a quiet one for him, Uh, 10.7 rebounds and shooting three from 15 overall. So an eight turnovers and and then he fouled out. So perhaps that is a bit reflective that that early hit and injury was affecting him a little bit because they're not numbers that we're used to from Blake Morrow. Um, But, yeah, it was lots of, like I said, up and back, lots of one-pass shoot from both teams, um, no real momentum shifts in the first quarter at all. And the whole, the Bulls went in the first quarter 28 to 20, so very high-scoring first quarter. Come the second quarter, though, it was really interesting. This is when Illawarra started to fight back and ended up coming into halftime with the lead. They won the second quarter 19 to 10, so really cutting um, really limiting the Bulls a lot better in the second quarter given that they scored so much in the first. But it was a really interesting point in the second quarter where the momentum seemed to be with Inner West Bulls. Um, there, there was a period where Illawarra Hawks was on a bit of a scoring drought um, and they were just having trouble buying a basket. Inner West Bulls half-court defense was really good. They were pushing the Hawks quite far out of uh, like off the three-point line, which really disrupted their half-court offense. Um, but then for some reason, the Bulls called a timeout. So I thought the Hawks were going to call a timeout, ended up being a Bulls timeout. Not too sure why, when the momentum was with the Bulls. But after this timeout, the, everything started to click for the Hawks. So they made some significant changes on offense and then they started to string a few stops and scores in a row. And that's how they ended up getting back in the game. So I thought that was super interesting that despite the momentum, the Bulls called the timeout and didn't work in their favor. Um, and by half time, Dave O'Hickey had 20 points and he was shooting at 50%. So he was on fire. But uh, he ended the game with 28 points, so only scoring eight points in the second half. He also, oh, I didn't catch himself in foul trouble. Four turnovers. He's, he's pretty turnover prone, though. So he ended up with 28, 4, 3, and 4 in 35 minutes. But uh, Inner West Bulls doing a really, really good job. On offense, they managed to get another 28-point quarter in the third quarter, um, really trying to limit Dave O'Hickey's touches and scoring options too. So he ended a game with 9 and 20, so probably not his best shooting outfit. Uh, Tim Conrad, though, played nearly the whole game for the Hawks. He had 22 points uh, with about 47%, so that's pretty good from him. Um, but it was really all came about in the fourth quarter. Bulls really locked down on defense, winning that one 24 to 13. Um, 
And I think pretty much, you know, full credit to the Bulls. I think Paul made mention of a similar game where all the hard, a lot of the hard work was done in the fourth quarter. So that's really what got them over the line. And our East Got Game previous guest, Chris Bryant, he played nearly the whole game with just under 36 and a half minutes. He ended up with a very, very good double-double with 25 and 17. Um, he had some shifty moves in this game as well. Like I really like how Chris plays from the high post because he's got really good handles for a bigger guy, but he's also got the strength and the physique to play underneath. Some very shifty moves. Obviously, Dave O'Hickey, I heard him on another podcast actually, found that by accident, and I'll tell you about it offline because I've already probably bored people enough with a lot of random facts this episode. <laughs> but he says that his signature move is his hesitation and 100% agree. Like his footwork is so quick. And he had a really nice hezzy in the first quarter where I was like, that is 100% your signature move. Copyright that, trade, trademark that, Dave O'Hickey, uh, use it all day. And uh, Chris Bryant from the Bulls was backed up by Alexander Higgins Titcher, 19 and 9, um, shooting 7 from 11. So really good uh, game for him as well. And Tony Tolovey. Uh, just under 20 minutes, but he had 16 and four, shooting five from seven. So really, really great minutes off the bench that obviously helped the Bulls in the long run. So, um, yeah, really interesting game, that one. The commentators had some really good banter as well throughout the game, which I actually really enjoyed. Like, you know, other commentators out there that might listen to this podcast, just you, it's okay to let loose a little bit and uh, have a bit of a, a banter and a chin wag. Um, yeah, so really, really interesting game. I'm glad that that was featured as play of uh, as game of the week. But um, I think I say this every episode. I've only contributed one game. I will try and contribute two again. But I, I, I do, I do have a, a, a something to just point out slash ask is that um, Freddie Webb now he actually leads the league in assists per game. He had seven again tonight. Um, this week, tonight, this week. Um, do you think that's going to help like guys like Davo Hickey, you know, if Davo doesn't have to facilitate as much, you know, he can, you know, really work on, you know, scoring, which he is so good at doing. I think that's a really good point actually, because when we started the season, when the Hawks started the season, Davo Hickey's uh, biggest stat lines was like, he was, he was almost teasing a triple double. Um, but he, his assists were really high. Like he's still third on the assist count. Um, well, I mean, and the guy in second has played one game, so. Well, this yeah, I was just going to say, I don't agree all the time with our conference statistics because it needs to be by based on minimum number of games. Like, you can't be like, yeah, yeah I'm second in assists after one game. Like, come on. You will give Dengak um, his respect. <laughs> I, I still highly respect Dengak, but, you know, one game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think considering Freddie's uh, season is coming along really well, he's going strength to strength. And I think if he can, he's playing really good minutes too. So I think if he can focus on being a really sound facilitator, it will take the pressure off the likes of Davo and Timmy Conrad um, just to be pure scorers because not even in this team, but in the league, like Davo and, and Timmy Conrad are probably two of the, the better one-on-one scorers. Um, so they probably need to be getting as many touches as they can. Then they've got the likes of um, Pagotto under the basket ready to clean up any scraps, so that's also in their favour. Just feel like there's a little, a few loose ends for this Illawarra team just to tie up to make them really super successful 
I mean, that, I picked them as my winners for the season uh, and they're sitting like a tenth. So <laughs> that's there's still so much potential. Like are, are you guys going to go on a six-game winning streak and break the top eight now because something's got to click? Well, I mean, now that Davo's back, you know, anything could anything could happen. I do worry, though, as well, that sometimes between Davo and Tim Conrad, like there wasn't a lot of team basketball played uh, by the Hawks, to be fair. Like it was a lot of kind of uh, up and back, one pass shoot, one pass, pass it around a little bit and then wait to see what Tim and Davo do. I mean, Tim was very trigger happy in the start of the game as well, just shooting any three-pointer that kind of came his way. Maybe that's his style, though. Like maybe he needs to get lots of shots early to help him get into his rhythm or the right mindset to make shots down the stretch. But there wasn't a lot of team concepts I could see in the half. Like there were time to time and the times they executed it well obviously went in their favour, but it wasn't consistent enough to me to be like, oh, yeah, this is what they're running or, um, oh, yeah, this is obviously a play where they're trying to get Davo in an ISO or they're trying to get Davo on a weak side like curl cut or something like that. But um, whereas the inner West Bulls, I think re- while they do have the likes of Blake Morrow and Chris Bryant who are performing consistently well this season and certainly leading the way for them, I do feel like the inner West Bulls definitely have better team concepts in the half court on offense. And that extended man-to-man de- defense in the half court looks like a menace like to play against. It felt like I felt uncomfortable watching and I wasn't even playing against this half court. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, get out of my face. It's so up in my space. Like, it felt uncomfortable to watch. So um, if they can manage to keep that consistent for the rest of the season, I know they've got Comets next, uh, which is going to be a really great matchup, despite their placings on the ladder. Um, I reckon that, I reckon Bulls could go all the way if they keep that stuff up. I 100% agree. Yes, uh, and now we've ex- I, we explained to our friend Chris Bryant how he's like, "What is nationals?" And I was like, "Oh, you, you get, I, yeah." We had a bit of a chat about what NBL One Nationals is and how to get there and what it means, and he got very excited. So hopefully that adds a bit of fuel to the Inner West Bulls uh, motivational um, uh, packet. Yeah, so uh, yeah, they could they could really go all the way. Certainly, certainly could, but it's the only one way to find out. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. We have to wait so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the only men's game I managed to cover, unfortunately. I will aim to do better next time. But, um, you know, this is what happens when you overcommit yourself in life. Something has to fall <laughs> off the off the full plate. But anyway, let's roll into news and gossip. We've probably already indicated a little bit of the news that's happened in the last week for NBL One East throughout our game reviews. But, Lockie, it was a very big week for signings for NBL One East. It was. Do you want to split it 50-50? I'll take the three women. You can tell us the three men. Yeah, go for it. All right. So, of course, we also already mentioned um, Izzy Bourne. Massive, massive signing for the Canberra Nationals returning after her time at Nebraska. Had the opportunity to take the extra year, decided, no, I've achieved all I wanted at Nebraska and time to come home. And the Canberra Nationals are certainly very, very happy with that. Um, Maddie Washington has arrived 
for the Maitland Mustangs, played her first game for the Mustangs in that defeat to Manly. I'm sure once she gets her feet under her, she will be a uh, significant force for the Mustangs who are looking to maintain that spot in the top eight. And Meg Jefferson's going to get a bit of front court help at the Penrith Panthers as another player who played college in Virginia, but not for Virginia, Chloe Bloom returns after her time at Virginia Commonwealth University and she will slot straight in for the Panthers once she is cleared. The game against Sutherland just coming a bit too soon for her. And I'm not going to mention the team or the name, but if you go, go if you want to go looking for a needle in a haystack, there is another new name on the MBL1 website on a roster. Ooh. I'm, not, I'm not going to say which team and I'm not going to say who, but there's someone out there. The teaser trailer to top off the news. I like that. And, again, I was surprised. I didn't know you had that up your sleeve. I'm full of surprises, Squin. I think that seems to be the theme of this episode, <laughs> kind of surprise kind of episode. The <laughs> dolls of this happened and this happened and this happened. This is ridiculous. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad that Izzy Bourne is back. Oh, my gosh, because we've been – I think you actually, again, put me onto her a couple of years ago as a college athlete, and I'm tipping her to get a spot on the UC Caps roster next season. So I would love to see her as a DP, at least as a DP. If she's not, we riot. We riot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in the men's division, uh, you know, I'm sorry, guys, but you've got two big names to to, (laughs) – Come across now in the remaining rounds, starting with uh, Dengak, who has signed with the Sutherland Sharks. Now, that is the big signing that Lockie did kind of allude to in our last episode. He played in Miami with DJ Vasiljevic, um, and he's been playing in Latvia recently. Is that right, Lockie? Yeah, so um, there's a combined Latvian-Estonian league, so he's actually been playing in that, not in like the regular Latvian league. So, yeah. The Latvia-Estonia Basketball League is where Dengak has been playing. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, look, I mean, he's getting some overseas experience. That's the main thing. And so welcome into the NBL One East. But, mate, this signing, when this came out, I gagged, I gasped, I was in shock. Wani Swaka Labulak has signed for Sydney Comets. Made his debut against the Bandits, as we mentioned earlier. But, my goodness. We were harping on last episode about how lucky we are to see, you know, the likes of Opals and Olympians, and now three-time NBL champ is going to rock up in our uh, in our home court as well. I'm I'm a bit devo that Crusaders have already played Comets at home early in the you'll season. Have come, you'll, have to, you'll have to come down to Alexandria. <laughs> I might have to come down to Alexandria and just be like, I'm here to commentate slash just watch Wani Swakala Bullock. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's huge for the East. And, like, full credit to all of the signings that we mentioned and also the other imports we've mentioned in previous episodes um, to come into play for the East because you make our competition better by playing against us, giving us some exposure, hopefully attracting uh, more talented players and imports to come play East. So, yeah, thank, thank you very much, imports. We appreciate you. Um, all right. So... News and gossip. I think. Did much. you? Yeah. yeah. Was there? Did you? Did you mention Reed? Oh yeah, of course. Reed Nottage. 
uh, popped up on the radar too. So he's obviously finished his time over in college as well. He's slotted into the Newcastle Falcons roster, also already having a really good debut. It's like he hasn't missed a beat. Um, I think he had, let me just find, oh, no, that's women, so that's not going to help. Anyway, just to break the silence, I'm pretty confident that Reed had a pretty decent outing on his debut. Um, but, uh, yeah, interestingly, I think there is some footage online either through Newcastle Basketball or one of the other alternative media outlets out there that are covering MBL One East. Uh, just covering Reed, why he chose to play for Newcastle. Um, I think he indicated, you know, he's probably got a lot of friends on the roster. That probably always makes the decision easier when you're coming back home to play for the first time. But, yeah, he played 25 and a half minutes against Norse, had 13 points, six rebounds, three assists. Um, so, yeah, uh, four from six from the two-point range. Uh, still finding his range from the three-point line, it looks like, uh, which is fine. <laughs> but, um <laughs> Yeah, pretty pretty decent minutes considering it's his first game back. Very good. And, uh, yeah, lots of teams who, you know, just looking for that one piece to put them over the top against their uh, mm. against their rivals. But then when everyone goes and gets a new piece, it uh, just makes it very, very interesting. And, like, what is the cutoff? Because these, I mean, understandably, all these signings happening very last minute trying to reach the cutoff before they, you know, to make sure they qualify qualify for finals. Is it in terms of you have to be here by a certain round or do you have to I play a certain number of games? In the past, I think you've had to play one third of the season. So it's 22 games, so that would be eight because seven is just less than a third. So you would have to play eight games. And I'm pretty sure, I know the rule in the past with Waratah was if you haven't, suited up it's eight to be eligible for finals but you can't suit up if you can't make finals eligibility you can't just start playing so you know mm. you couldn't just go, you couldn't just go and you know sign you know test imagine to play five games at the end of the season and get you into finals and then she can't play finals you have in the past you've actually had to be able to maintain finals eligibility throughout mm, interesting that's uh yeah, that's a really important um, piece to that rule, I think, because I can imagine a few teams, especially like for female athletes, where if they have an opportunity to play here for a period of time, and then I know that New Zealand's uh, professional league have just restarted last season with very competitive player salaries for a shorter period of time. Yeah, you could get your pay packet here, get a team to the finals, and then Mm. hop over to New Zealand and get another pay packet for a shorter season. Like, uh, yeah, so, yeah, very good uh, detail to that rule. But let's wrap up the show, Lockie, with our All-Star 5. Take it away with the women's because I think this one was a tough one to decide. Oh, yeah, thanks a lot, Abby Solway and Lizzie Tonks. Just dropped 24 (laughs) apiece for the same team. It'll win. Um, Okay, so, uh, yeah, so Abby was definitely – on my honourable mentions, as would Meg Jefferson for her 26 in the loss for Penrith to Sutherland. And Michaela Domkins, uh, 21 and 16, but I went with a player who got a win and shot a bit more efficiently in my All-Star 5. So I think those were the three that were the most unlucky to miss out. But we'll start with Canberra's own Lizzie Tonks, putting up 24 points, five rebounds and assists 
and two steals, hitting 57% from three-point range in just 21 minutes. Uh, Ella Dent for Illawarra in the win over Inner West, 27 points, five rebounds, six assists, four steals, and a block, if you don't mind. Uh, Kimberly, the Honey Badger, Hodge for Manly Warringah with 24 points, five rebounds, and an assist in the win over Maitland, shooting 89% from the field and did pretty well at the charity stripe as well in that big win that extends Manly's win streak to 12 games. Uh, Christina Moore, well, she'd have to be uh, definitely in the running for player of the week for Hornsby Karingai, getting the Spiders their first win with 33 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, and three steals against the Hornets, a 13-point win there. The Hornets are stinging a bit without uh, Rhiannon Yetzenga in the lineup, uh, certainly affecting their uh, paint presence at both ends. And speaking of paint presence, Isla Jufferman's of the Centre of Excellence, a big 29 points and 15 rebounds against Squin's own Central Coast Crusaders in an 84-65 win. Big, big performance from Isla. She'll be looking to hit peak form ahead of uh, World Cup. Yeah, dominating. Um, I ho- will hopefully get to commentate some uh, at least one game of Australia's at the World Cup, but so far I'm not rusted on for any. But look, manifesting. Um, so yes, I was tasked with a men's All Star five. This was pretty tough, and look, to be honest, um, I probably didn't sprawl over it as much as I normally do, but I just went with my instinct. So I didn't uh, have a chance to consider you know, the fact of wins and losses and things like that. But uh, honourable mention, Jameer Coleman, who had 26-9, 5 and 2 in a win against the Comets. From uh, He's from Aubrey Wodonga. But in that game too is backed up by Michael Parks, who had 18 and 16. And the name's cut off, but I'm going to guess it's Lachlan Cummings, who had 27, 2 and 2. Um, but from the same game, I'm going to start with Wani Swakala Bullock. Uh, who has 33, 7, 2 and 2 uh, for the Comets in that round. Uh, I also had Chris Bryant in that, that game we featured before against the Hawks, 25.7 rebounds, 3 assists. Uh, Ryan Beastie from the Newcastle Falcons uh, in their game against Norse with 18 points, 16 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks and shooting at 50%. So very easy making uh, the All-Star 5 this week. <laughs> and then I had Alex Tui. He had a great weekend for both games against Crusaders and Comets. So he uh, averaged 24 He averaged twenty four points. I'm going to round it up. He averaged 24 points uh, and he averaged at 64% from the field for the weekend as well. So that's a really high clip for um, two 20-point games uh, in a weekend. One game he had 10 assists and the other game he had 10 rebounds. So also doing it uh, in other areas of the game. And then the import that I've forgotten to mention in the last two episodes of Escott game is AJ Lawton. Our beloved AJ from Central Coast Crusaders, our little pocket rocket, part of the 2019 championship winning team for the Crusaders, is back. So he arrived probably a couple of weeks ago with his lovely partner Emma and their little and their baby. He's back playing for the Crusaders. 
uh, and he really had to kind of put on a show against the COE this weekend um, because the Crusaders had a lot of players out, I think, because of Youth League, and so they only had like eight players perhaps playing at COE. But, yeah, he was pulling out all the stops. He had 27 points and three steals, and he shot at 50%. So uh, call me biased, but I'm putting AJ in for his 27-point piece. And, um, yeah, welcome back, AJ. We love to have you. How good. I Very just good. also, this is this is in no way, shape, or form related to All-Star 5, but it is something I want to make mention of because it's something that happened to a young player who's been training all season with Sutherland NBL 1 team, gets a little bit of playing time here and there. I think she's appeared in five games just in garbage time at the end. But big shout out to Grace Cameron, who I think in her sixth appearance scored her first NBL One East points. Yay! Knocking knocking down a three. And you know I gave her the loudest, throatiest, buried it that that I could possibly muster when she knocked that down. So big shout out to young Grace Cameron. Awesome. Way to go, Rooks. Way to go. The best way to get your debut points is always a three-pointer. I love it. Um, but otherwise, that's us for the week. Um, well, I mean, I shouldn't say us for the week, actually, because we actually have a guest <laughs> coming up. We do, but it's the, it's us in terms of recapping games. That's right. It's us in terms of recapping games. And I just realized that uh, I made a bit of a boo-boo with the last recording, but that's okay. I'll try and figure out a way um, around it. But nonetheless, that is just that is uh, the recap of round eleven for NBL One East twenty twenty three. But we'll be back with round twelve next week and hopefully another special guest. So we will leave you now with um, our guest interview. Who do we say who it is now, or should we make them wait? Make them wait. Make them it's, wait. It's someone. It's someone we've already mentioned in the episode, though. Correct. Correct. So. Uh, re-listen to the episode and see if you can pick who it is. Our special guest this week is a USA-born athlete who has spent time playing as an Australian junior representative and attended the COE before taking time away from basketball. She has burst back onto the scene in her NBL1 East debut with the Albury-Wodonga Bandits, averaging 16 points and nine rebounds per game. Please welcome Ashley Hannon. Ashley, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you guys both for having me on the podcast. It's our pleasure. Uh, we both, probably Lockie in particular, were very excited to see your name pop up on a roster before the NBL One East season started. So um, it's so great that we could have you as a guest on the podcast. Um, and just to kick things off, uh, how about we start by... Um, why don't you tell us where your basketball journey actually started? Um, so I think I've been playing basketball since I was about 11 officially, but my mom actually used to be a professional basketball player herself. So I've sort of just grew up um, on basketball courts sort of in the stadiums while she's training and playing um, down in Melbourne. I think she was she played for Frankston Blues at the time. Um but yeah, so I've always been around basketball. Um, and then I did my junior basketball all through, um, like in Queensland. I played for the Brisbane Capitals and then the Southwest Metro Pirates. And I think I did a stint with the Sunshine Coast Phoenix in the QBL 
Um, but yeah, so all up north. <laughs> so were you born, like it says, we, uh, you let us know before we recorded you were born in the USA, but as you said, you just, um, repre- your junior representation was with Queensland. Did you, at what age did you come over to Australia? Yeah, so I was um, born in Washington, D.C., um, and then I think I was one when my parents moved to Australia. So I've pretty much been in Australia my whole life. Um, so very much an Australian. <laughs> awesome. And I mean, having your mum play for Frankston, that they're a really good club yeah. um, on and off court, I've heard. So that's pretty cool bragging rights to say your mum played for Frankston as well. <laughs> um, and uh, in your junior career as well, you found yourself playing uh, or getting a scholarship to the COE and you were also on a couple of Australian junior teams. Um, so tell us about that playing experience. Yeah, so that was um, pretty amazing. I think when I was 15, I was invited to the um, Basketball Australia's ADC, I think it's Athlete Development Camp. Um, and then, yeah, got um, obviously exposure through that and then was invited to go down to the Centre of Excellence. And then I think from there, things just really took off. Um but, yeah, that was an amazing opportunity and I will always be grateful for that. Um, I, yeah, had many good times there. Obviously pretty cool to be able to say that I've played for Australia um, wearing the green and gold is not something that comes around very often. So, um, yeah, really good memories. And uh, at the COE, um, was it what you expected when you arrived or did you get a little bit of a culture shock? Um, Definitely a bit of a culture shock, I would say. Um, Just going from maybe doing one or two team trainings a week to basically training day in, day out, um, strength and conditioning, like eating, dieting, all that sort of thing. So it was definitely intense. um, But I found that I really thrived in that environment for the most part. Um, yeah, it was, it's a lot when you have, um, a whole bunch of teenagers sort of just thrust into one big group and then left to, I don't know, figure things out. Um, but I mean, we had good support systems around us, um, and people there guiding us along the way. So and uh, it looks like as well that you were also um, signed up to play for University of Texas in college uh, with Izzy Palmer from Newcastle. Um, did you end up finishing your f- uh, full scholarship there? Um, no. So I went over to Texas with Izzy. Izzy and I are really close friends, um, so I was really happy to be able to go with someone that I knew. Um, and I think I, I would have only been there for a few months, Um before deciding to come back home. Um, I think at that point in my career, I had just lost a bit of the passion for the game um, and I had come off a lot of injuries and some hardships um, right in the lead up of moving overseas. Um, I had a few concussions in a row that had me sitting out a lot um, and then I was medically um, excluded from the under-19 World Cup team, which took a bit of a toll mentally. Um, so I think I was just a bit lost. And then going over there, I didn't I didn't feel like I was supported as a person 
Um, I was more just viewed as an athlete, which is, I don't know, to be expected. <laughs> um, but yeah, struggled. So decided to come back home and yeah, have a bit of a reset. And one last question before I throw you over to Lockie. Um, was that under-19s team that you were medically um, determined, like, unsuitable for, was that the team that won the silver medal against um, the USA? Yes, that was. Ah, uh, that's a shame. Yeah. So I'll throw to Lockie because he's got some good <laughs> questions for you too. Okay. So you have uh, you said you came home and reset, so what have you been doing in your time away from the game? Because it had been a while. Yes, it has been almost, I think almost four years. Um, what have I been doing? I really, I just wanted to take some time to figure out who I was off the basketball court and what sort of person I wanted to be. Um, so I just tried everything. I studied, I think I started a couple of different degrees, haven't finished one yet. Um, I worked full-time, um, travelled a little bit. I just had a lot of fun, really. Um, yeah, enjoyed myself. I don't think... And so... Oh, sorry, you go. Oh, go on. <laughs> um, just, so why is now the right time for you to come back to the game, really? Um, I think I've just had a bit of a, a gradual, like a an itch to just get back playing. Um, yeah, so it's been a little, like a long time coming, but I didn't think that I would actually go back to playing at this level at least. Um, I thought I might just play a bit of social basketball. Um, but yeah, I think I was just at a bit of a point where I was like, I don't have any immediate plans for the future. So I could really just do anything that I want. And I was like, you know what, why not? Let's just go all in, give it a crack and see if I enjoy basketball again. And uh, what was it like returning to the sport uh, after a break? Were there some similarities or differences in terms of um, the feel for the game? Uh, did you still have like the same pregame nerves or were you a little bit more calm and focused coming back after a break? Um, oh, definitely. I think I was pretty terrified um, to, yeah, come back after so long but I think the moment I stepped on court in round one I just felt like back at home like it yeah came back pretty pretty quickly and you just get back into that mode I guess um but I've been really enjoying it so far like it's been an amazing experience I've been so supported by the bandits here in Albury um yeah, everyone's just been lovely. So it's been an, it's been a really good experience. And did you uh, did it take you time to get uh, used to the style of play, or was it pretty similar to what you were used to? Um, oh, it definitely took a little bit of time to get that game fitness back. I'm not sure if I've got it back just yet, but we're working on it. Um, but the style of play, I think, I don't know. Me personally, I feel a bit of a mental shift. Like I have that actual um, competitiveness about myself now. Like I want to do well and I want to perform well for my team, which I don't know if I have had previously. Um, but it's a really good feeling, honestly. Um, yeah, and I'm just enjoying myself. I want to go out there and have fun and do whatever I can do to help out our team. And speaking of the team, what? why was Aubrey Wodonga, Aubrey Wodonga the right club for you to join? 
Um, so Albury's, I've been based in Canberra mainly for the past few years and Albury's not too far away from Canberra and my family. Um, and I've had Matt Paps, our head coach, he remained in contact throughout the years that I spent away from basketball and, um, yeah, would always just check in and see how I'm going, see if I want to play again. <laughs> and I would sort of just be like, oh, no. But, yeah, this time around um, I was like, yeah, you know what, why not? Um, and, yeah, it was really helpful having him to be backing me and believing in me. Um, so it was just an obvious choice to go with the bandits. And you've been doing really well and have – Seeing as you've been doing so well, um, have you thought about what the future may hold for you, you know, WNBL or something like that, or are you just looking to get through the season and then think about things later? Um, I mean, initially coming into NBL 1, I wasn't even sure that I would be playing big minutes at all, let alone starting and, um, yeah, doing as well as I am. So I hadn't thought that far ahead. Um but, I mean, if I was given the opportunity to go WNBL, that would be amazing. Um, at the moment, I think my main focus is just continuing to enjoy myself, getting through this season and, yeah, seeing how I feel after that and hopefully get some opportunities from there. But if not, that's all right. I'll be back next season for NBL 1. <laughs> and, of course... Can't really think about Aubrey Wodonga's current era with, without thinking of, you know, they in the front court last year, they had LJ and Unique. How, how is it, you know, do you ever feel like, you know, you have to replace what they did or are you just coming in there and being the best Ash Hannon you can be? <laughs> um, I mean, obviously those are some pretty big shoes to fill and I'm not sure there's anyone who's able to fill those shoes. Um, but I think as a team... We've all grown so much already throughout this season and I think we are surprising even ourselves with how we've been able to still go toe-to-toe with some of the best in this league um, despite the loss of our two very important players. And so did it, it sounds like that you had already – did you know Matt Paps from somewhere previously in your playing career um, before coming to Bandits if you, if you guys were in contact before – you started? Um, I think maybe peripherally just through the basketball community, you know, how close it is. Um, but, yeah, I think it was more just the fact that he had remained in contact, um, yeah, over the years. So you kept doing the right thing as our good coaches do, kept planting the seed, <laughs> waiting for it to sprout a little bit. <laughs> I know um, that in a similar way that's how Alex Bunton made her return to WNBL after she took some time away with knee injuries and officially retired. But Gori was always keeping in contact with her and just checking in and kind of said, hey, look, do you reckon you're ready to come back? We'll make it super easy and supportive for you. And that's how she's back. And now she's in the Opal Yeah, sport, definitely. So. I mean, she's an inspiration to all of us. Um, and I think stories like hers and even LJ coming back, those are the sort of things that inspired me um, and hopefully inspire other people as well. Yeah, exactly. And especially for female athletes where uh, some people still have the very old school mentality of, oh, if you're having a kid, then that's it. It's automatic uh, retirement. But Yeah, no, definitely not both, the case. Um, 
No, no. And uh, Bunce and LJ are both um, examples of that as well, other than injury, also coming back to play after motherhood too. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's many players in the both NBL 1 and WNBL who are wonderful mothers and are still able to pursue their basketball careers as well, which I think is amazing. The support systems are just there now. Yeah, probably took a long time coming, but we're getting there. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Have you played with anyone on your current uh, Bandits roster before? Like had you played with Emma Mahardy or any of the other girls before? No, I think no. I don't think I've played with anyone. But I've been really enjoying playing with everyone so far this season. It's been a great team to be a part of. Everyone gets around each other. And a great community as well here in Albury. Um, The fans are amazing. Yeah, it's just very welcoming. Yeah, Lockie and I were lucky enough to commentate the inaugural NBL One East Finals last season and Brody Page Theodore and Casey Ardern were probably two of our favourites of that weekend, particularly in the grand final, right, Lockie? Yeah, definitely. I think we we talked to some pe- everyone who had MVP votes. I think five different Albury Wodonga players got MVP votes <laughs> in that game. So yeah, yeah. Now yeah. Captain Brody, she's amazing, amazing leader, and amazing player as well. Same with Casey. Um, yeah, so special to have them a part of our team. And uh, coming into the season, what was Coach Pap's expectations of you for your? your first season back? Um, I don't think he, well, he at least he told me that he didn't have any expectations really. Um, he, yeah, was more focused on just getting me back, back on my feet um, and just really seeing if this is something that I enjoy doing still. Um, and that was the main priority. And then now obviously we've got past that and we want to try and, um, yeah, do as well as we can this season and hopefully get a championship again. Yeah, you've got some pretty tight matchups coming up for the rest of the season. Lockie, you were, we were talking about it just before we started recording. Can you refresh our memory of what's up for the Bandits for the remaining uh, round? Yeah, so four games left against the top five and a game against Sutherland as well. And three more against those teams that are in and amongst the fight for finals, Bankstown, Canberra and Maitland. So I think Albury, Wodonga actually have the hardest run home of any team in the league in terms of, you know, the average standing of the teams remaining that they have to play. Yeah, definitely. So I think we've big, got some big games ahead big stretch of us. coming. But I think I'd say we're up for the challenge. Um, we've been getting better week in, week out. Um, and we're really starting to gel as a team. And we've just had the injection of um, Michaela Pivik, our import, who's been amazing so far. <laughs> yeah, Lockie is also a big – see, Lockie is a big fan. Of, I probably refer to Lockie being a big fan to lots of people on the podcast. But it's always true. It's never an exaggeration. But he is a big fan of Michaela. And it looks like that she has slotted into the league um, very, very quickly, given that she came relatively late – uh, into the tournament, and I don't think she's played in MBL one before. Um, but yeah, what's it been like playing with her? Um, yeah, no, she's um, slotted in amazingly, and she's come up with some great performances for us in our last double header. Um, yeah, pretty much straight off the plane, straight straight into a big weekend of playing, and yeah, 
she did well. So we're all very happy to have her. And she's an amazing person as well off the court. Just a good teammate, gets around everybody. Um, yeah, lovely girl to talk to. Um, so a couple of uh, non-basketball-related questions for you now. Uh, so how does Ashley like to enjoy her time off the basketball court? Um, um, I What do I do off the basketball court? Um, I enjoy listening to music. I enjoy reading um, and exploring. Like I have a dog who unfortunately I had to leave in Canberra. Um, but I would often take her out on walks, hikes, um, visiting creeks and waterfalls and stuff like that. Yeah, I enjoy getting outdoors. There must be uh, plenty of opportunity for that in a town like Albury as well. I know I've been down there a couple of times for the old Siebel, Siebel road trip and I know there's a fair bit of opportunity to get outdoors down in Albury. Yes, yeah, definitely. And uh, you mentioned before that you've studied a couple of things. Have you completed some studies or have you decided to do uh, go on a different path? Um, no, I have not completed um, any studies as of yet. Um, I think I do eventually want to go back to studying, but when I decided to come back to basketball, I wanted to just put all of my focus into that and, yeah, go one step at a time and, yeah, hopefully – in the near future, I will be studying again. Have you what 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 have you what have you tried so far, and have you thought about what that might entail in the future? Um, so I was studying business administration, and then I did medical science for a year and a half, which I really enjoyed. Um, found that very interesting, and then I did accounting, which I didn't enjoy so much. Um, so I think if I was to go back, I would definitely be going on the science side of things. That's where my interests lie. Um, but, yeah, nothing really – it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to choose something. Nothing jumps out at me, but we'll see. Oh, and, look, study is not for everyone. It's an option. It doesn't have to be, like, the only option, though. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then again, if you like med science, then we might be calling Dr. Ashley Hannon <laughs> in our future – Commentary calls. <laughs> I don't know about that. And um, do you, so do you have? Are you also a typical female athlete who juggles playing semi pro and also having to work? Yes, yes. So I've been working as a disability support worker um, whilst being here in Aubrey, which I'm really enjoying. Um, I find it very rewarding work. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know a few um, other athletes, whether it's the pro season or semi-pro season, who also pick up disability support work. It seems like it would be obviously a good experience in a, one of those roles where you can really um, make a difference, I suppose, but also quite flexible around training times because there's different shifts and things like that you can yeah, do. Yeah, definitely. I can cater um, it to my schedule, which is um, the main thing really, but... Yeah, it is amazing to be able to make a difference in people's lives and connect to people in ways that you wouldn't normally. And uh, have, does that mean as well you have gained a whole bunch of new fans through your disability support work? <laughs> yes. Um, so the company I work for is actually one of our sponsors of the Aubrey Wodonga Bandits um, Social Plus. So we get um, some of the particip- participants coming to our games and cheering us on, which is amazing. 
Oh, that's awesome. That's a really nice connection to have then uh, for on, on and off court, um, kind of playing, uh, working for a sponsor as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and also, you know, providing, I, I feel like uh, people that live with disabilities are always marginalised uh, when accessing things like local basketball games or sometimes it's not always considered that, you know, that is an option for people with disabilities to still go out on a Saturday night and see a basketball game with everyone else. So it's a really, really nice to hear that there's that connection between the club and the sports. Yeah, it is amazing. And one final question uh, on the on paper anyway. Lockie may come up with something before we finish up. But um, you touched on before um, that you like to spend a lot of time outside and Lockie has also backed up that there's probably a nice few trails down in Albury, Wodonga region. But if someone were visiting the area for the first time, tell us the best way they could spend their day in Albury, Wodonga. Okay. Um... I would say definitely go out to the Weir or they call it the Weir. It's the Hume Dam. Um, I think when I first got here, I went out there with my family and we went water skiing, which was good fun. Um, So definitely that. There's a couple of good lookouts, which are very picturesque um, and some cute little towns in and around Albury, um, little country towns. And some wineries, if wine's your thing. Um, I love a good wine, so little <laughs> wineries always something that interests me. What else do we have in Albury? Cute little. Do you have a uh, favorite coffee spot? Yeah, well, I'm not a coffee drinker, but I do love a good chai latte. So, yeah, there's many different coffee shops in Albury and Wodonga. Um, Feel like that. I mean, coming from a country town myself, from Mudgee, I feel like that's something that's exploded. Is the uh, in smaller towns, and um, I guess Aubrey's a lot bigger than Mudgee, but the uh, there's just a plethora of cafes everywhere you look in country towns nowadays. So you really can't go wrong if you've, you know, you got, you have a fairly good chance of picking a good one. Yeah, definitely. Yes, certainly uh, exploding in popularity. And is Sweetheart still open in Aubrey? <laughs> yes, yes, Sweetheart still exists. Good place to get some food. What's, what's Sweetheart? It's a, um, what would you call it? Fast food? It's like post-night post out food. The couple of times I've gone out in Albury, which was many years ago now, it was the, yeah, post-night uh, out food, but it was always, uh, like it was, I thought it was like a, just a pizzeria, but I think they have lots of stuff. But yeah, we were always recommended to have pizza at Sweetheart's after a <laughs> night out. Yes, it's definitely the go-to spot. There'll be a queue out the door. Every Saturday night. So, Ash, thank you so much for being our guest on Scott Game and best of luck for the rest of the season. We'll obviously be watching very closely. And now that Nambia won East, we have gotten confirmation through, thankfully, one of our listeners. They message us on Instagram and have confirmed that it is top eight teams this year that will make the final series. So fingers crossed yes. for your bandits to um yeah, to go all the way and make it to the top eight. Yes. Um, thank you guys both so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.